Before we dive into the sermon, I just want to say a few things about some of what uh, we see uh, the Lord doing these days among us. Uh, we, we know that as, um, as God has been at work over the last year and a half or so, moving us into uh, different and, and deeper places with the Lord, and as he um, brought Lisa and Ben for a time to lead us in, in their way, and before that, uh, Rona in her way, and now uh, Luke in, in his way, uh, God is God is, is doing something new in, in all of us. And he, he's been preparing us for something, not only through our worship leaders, but through uh, the different uh, other gifts that God has given in the life of the church. Um, he, he's doing it in the way that he has been calling people to humility and, and honesty. Uh, he's doing it in ways that he's calling people to uh, confession of sin. And so um, on, on Sunday mornings, um, Pastor Bob often told visitors that if, if you come visit Broadway, you need to come at least three times uh, because every time you'll be a little bit different. And uh, I, I think that that's going to continue to happen. And I want you to also know that... Um, you know, as parents, we understand your kids are up there, and we've got nursery workers. Nursery workers, if you hear me, I see you, and I know the work that you're doing up there, but I've spoken with Simps about, you know, there's going to be times where we may be done 1130, sometimes it may be much, much later than that, and um, we want you all to know as leaders that we are all okay with that, and that we are, are working um, together, and we're listening to what the Spirit wants to do among us, and um, so... Uh, that's all real scary for me, Wilhoff, but it's also a real good work that God's doing um, partly in me and uh, is, is equipping me for whatever this new thing is that he's doing that I believe he's preparing us for at Broadway and here in this city, and um, I, I'm just glad to get to be a part of whatever it is. And uh, I believe that the, the things that he has, has given to us here at Broadway that we've been speaking about this, this fall of our call to steadfast worship and uncommon unity and healing community and faithful witness, that, that um, those seeds that he's planting in us so that we can better understand this group of people that he's called us to be, I, I just think that those seeds are going to bear fruit that we can't yet predict, that we can't yet know or even plan for. And so we'd like to ask for you to continue to, to pray that we've got this week and next week in this series, and then we're into Christmas, but that you would continue to pray that anything that God has stirred up in you, has stirred up in your small group, uh, that you see happening among us as a congregation, to be praying about that, to speaking with one another about that, to speaking with your leaders about that, about what you see God doing uh, so that we can be a part of whatever it is. Amen? So we are going to be talking about this idea of being a faithful witness, and uh, what we've said is that we are called to be uh, faithful witnesses. God calls us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world in the city of Fort Wayne and to every other place the Holy Spirit sends us. God calls us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world in the city of Fort Wayne and to every other place 
the Holy Spirit sends us. And we talked last week about our calling to be a, a witness corporately as a community of people in the world, that when the people see, uh, when the world sees the people of God coming together and living in a unique way, that in that way we are a witness uh, to Jesus. And today we're going to talk about how as individuals we are also called to be faithful witnesses. So would you pray with me as we now dive into um, God's word today. Father, we thank you that you have called us, that you've given us good work to do in your name, that you've called us to be a faithful witnesses to Jesus. And I pray that you would use this sermon today to equip us for that calling, to make us saltier and brighter in the city of Fort Wayne and to every other place that you send us. Amen. <clears throat> so just want to remind you that being a witness is, um, is telling others about what Jesus has done for you. Uh, sometimes that includes the, the more tangible work of evangelism, uh, but what I wanted to suggest last week is that the idea of witnesses is broader than that. It includes the, the telling of the specific story and calling people to respond to what Jesus has done for them. But the broader picture of witness is that we are to tell others what the Lord has done for us. And one of the exciting things for me that I see God doing over the last few years is, is equipping us and training us to tell that story. Uh, God called Brian Berkey a couple years ago to have men once a month to come and to share for half an hour or an hour to have men share their story. And so every third Saturday of the month, men have gathered together, anywhere from 15 to about 30 of us yesterday, uh, to listen to one brother tell their story, to give witness to what the Lord has done in them. It is happening in, in the women's ministry, uh, what do you guys call it, the, the Journey Nights, uh, that's coming up. This is an opportunity for one woman to share their story, to give testimony, to give witness to what the Lord has done. And we are wanting to equip all of us to do that because we are witnesses to Jesus. If we claim Christ, if we claim to be followers of Jesus, we are his witnesses, uh, whether we know it or not and whether we want to be or not. What our life says, what we do with our actions as well as with our words, we are his witnesses. And the question isn't whether we're going to be a witness, it's whether we're going to be a faithful one or an unfaithful one. And we want us to be faithful witnesses to Jesus in our life and also in our words. I want to talk about that today um, in light of our, our everyday, ordinary lives. Uh, today we, we, we prayed for... Uh, our leaders, and for our, our students who are going on a short-term mission trip. Uh, we, many of you, are a part of different ministries like 410 or the evangelism team that goes out on Saturday mornings to, to share the gospel with people, or you're a volunteer in as much, or you have some other ministry or program that you're a part of. And all of those are one aspect of our witness. But most of us live 95% of our lives outside of those programs and those ministries that, that we are called to do, right? 95% of your life is lived at your workplace or at your home or in your neighborhood. 
And so what does it mean for us to be a witness in those places, in those very ordinary places that we are called to be? The story of the whole Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, it honors the ordinary daily life of human beings. It acknowledges that our lives are called to be lived in the ordinary, and that in the ordinary, God is present there, and he has a purpose for us there. He has a purpose for you as you go to work. He has a purpose for you in your home and in your neighborhood. I'll say that again. In the ordinary places of our lives, God is present, and he has a purpose for you there. That's the thesis statement for this sermon. I'll say it again because nobody seems to be amening that at all. And I think (laughs) all of you should be doing that. In the ordinary places of our lives, God is present and he has a purpose for us there. Thank you. All right. You guys are awake. Good. And I think that understanding of our everyday life, that that God has placed us there and has a purpose for us there, that that understanding is one of the the ways that we can be a witness to others who don't have that understanding. Our cultural moment, the, the, the ideas that the people around you have, your neighbors and your coworkers have, is that, that there, if there is a God that he's far away from us, and that our li- his life and our life really don't meet one another at all. We are just lost in the cosmos. That Our life is meaningless. As our brother Phil Snyder often reminds us, though, that we are a trillion times better. That the purpose that God has for us is real, and we can come to know it and live by it. Our life has meaning, it has purpose, it has direction. Do you remember when we, we looked at the book of Ecclesiastes about two years ago? Um, that was the most fun I've ever had preaching, preaching through uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, which is kind of odd because it's really not a very fun book. But one of the things that we said during that series is that the book of Ecclesiastes, it, it tells the truth about life if all we could see was what was under the sun. It tells the truth about life if all that we could see was life under the sun. It's written, I think, as a bit of a thought experiment to tell us what the world is like if we lived without any reference to eternity, if we lived without any reference to God and his work in our life. Ecclesiastes is this description of life under the sun. If God isn't a part of our world, if God doesn't have a purpose for our lives, it's written from that perspective of someone who pursued life really hard after the things of this world as ends in and of themselves and not with reference to God and his purpose in it. And so the entire book begins, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. And Ecclesiastes, throughout that book, tells us that life, if it's lived only from the perspective of life under the sun, if life is lived only in such a way that the only things that exist are things that we can see and touch, Ecclesiastes tells us that life is meaningless. Learning is meaningless. Pleasure is meaningless. Our work is meaningless. The sun is meaningless, he says. Gardening is meaningless, and wealth is meaningless. And I want to suggest to you, friends, that the truth is, is that this is the way that many of your neighbors and your coworkers feel about life. 
The story about our work and the story about our life in the world here under the sun feels meaningless for many of your neighbors and coworkers. There is no purpose, it seems, to them beyond the present moment. But as followers of Jesus, we live our lives and we do our work according to a different story than that. We believe that the meaning of life comes from beyond the sun. We have a different story about our work. We believe that the origin of this world comes from beyond the sun. We believe that our own lives have been given purpose and direction from a word that was spoken to us from beyond the sun. We believe that our healing and our salvation comes from a work of someone who was sent to the world from beyond the sun. We believe that the final redemption of the world will come not merely by our own efforts and by our own human progress, but through a work from beyond the sun. The story that we live by and that we tell as faithful witnesses is a story where God is real, where he has a purpose, and where he has a plan, and where he is present with us. And it's this story that we tell as faithful witnesses as we go about the work that he has for us to do in our own lives, whether that's in our our workplaces or in our schools or our homes or in our neighborhoods. The Bible tells us that from beginning to end, our everyday human life has a purpose and a plan and a goal. So I want to just talk a little bit. By the way, if you are trying to follow along in the bulletin, the few words there, you're not going to be able to do it. Um, this is not where we're going today. Um, but what I, I want to I say is if it's helpful for you, just kind of cross out that part and um, write, write these words. Write meaningless question mark. That was kind of point one that I just had. And then write under that, creation, and then under that right, resurrection, and then under that right, calling. Meaningless question mark, creation, resurrection, and calling. I want to talk a little bit about what the Christian story of creation and resurrection and our calling have to do with our own life in the world, in our life as faithful witnesses. In the first pages of the Bible, in Genesis 1 and 2, we're told that we live in a world that God made. And not just made and left, but that he designed to be a place where human beings could live and flourish and do good work. In Genesis, who is the first worker? It's God. In Genesis... (laughs) It's okay, Juju. It's all right. It's good to see you, by the way, Juju. We missed you. God is the first worker. In the six days of creation, God works. He takes what is formless and empty, and he brings order and design and purpose to it. And then Genesis 1 says that God makes humanity in his own image. And this idea of what it means for us to be made in his image, it carries a lot of weight. But at the very least, if the only thing that we've seen in the first chapter of the Bible is God working, and then we get to a point where it says uh, human beings are made in God's image, what should we think part of our purpose or being made in his image is? To do work. 
So part of what it means for us to be made in God's image is to do the kinds of things that God does. To take things that are disorderly and bring order to them. To arrange the world and to subdue the world so that it brings about good things. In the next page of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 2, we have a a more detailed account of God's creation of human beings than we do in Genesis 1. Go ahead and turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. And in that account in Genesis 2, we read how our work, how our, our labor is a good part of God's design for us and for the world. Genesis chapter 2, going to read verses 4 uh, through, through 7. Genesis 2 verse 4, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens... And this is really interesting. And no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. And the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And then the Lord plants a garden in the middle of this. So this image in verses 4 through 7 of the world is that it's, it's not yet what it's supposed to be. God creates the world and it's kind of like, reads like it's kind of a watery mess. That there's this water that is covered over the surface of the ground because God had not yet set rain on the earth and there was no man to work the ground. After God made it, it still was not yet as it was fully intended to be. There were not yet plants of the field because there was no man to work the ground. There was waters that were on the earth that that weren't suitable for food to grow because there was no man to work the ground and to create irrigation, to tell that water where to go to useful places so that things could thrive. In these first few verses of Genesis 2, we get this hint that God has designed his creation in such a way that the work of human beings is essential to making it what it was supposed to be. Now, God certainly could have designed the world in a different way, but God designed the world in such a way that our work would give shape to his creation. That our work would bring order and fruitfulness to his creation. That just as God in Genesis chapter 1 brought order out of the chaos through his work, through his speech, in a similar way, our work would, in a smaller but a very real way, do the same thing. That our work and our speech and our communication with one another and our labor would bring about good order and goodness and beauty to God's creation. Again, God certainly could have designed his world in another way. But this is one of his great gifts that he's given to us as being people who were made in his image. Created us as human beings with the capacity to to take our minds and, and to take our hands and to use them for good things. To plan and to prepare and to dream about the way that things could be. And then to use our words to communicate and collaborate and work together. And then to use our bodies and our hands and our effort to bring about things in the world that did not exist before. 
That might be a work of art or a work of music or a garden or a new business or a new home. We have been given the ability to work and to create and to shape the world that God created in ways that we want, in ways that we desire. And we see in the rest of the Bible, starting in Genesis 3 very quickly, that we, um, we went a bit haywire and we went off God's purpose and his plan. And so what we also see in the world is not only good things that God has called us to make, but also evil and wicked things as well. But this story that I've told you about our work, it's a different kind of story than the story that the world tells, isn't it? Our work is not merely about making money or making ends meet or about bottom lines and pleasing shareholders or whatever. It's not just a means to some end. Our work has a God-ordained design and purpose in it. So as you think about your work, in what ways are you reflecting the image of God in the work that you do? We were talking about this at staff, and uh, Luke told about a time when he was pushing shopping carts. What, what store was it, Luke? Home Depot. Okay. Luke was pushing shopping carts around at Home Depot, and he was trying to, to think, how am I reflecting the image of God in this work? And he thought, well, I'm bringing order. There's shopping carts all over the place, and now I'm seeking to bring order to this little area that God's given me for probably too long of a shift, right? (laughs) In what way is the work that you're doing reflecting the image of God in you? In what way do you bring order, or in what way do you communicate truth or produce something that's useful to other people, or in what way does your job bring joy to others or, or fix what is broken? Or design something new that wasn't there before. These are all reflections of the image of God in you. This is one of the reasons why we started this practice each month of having these vocational prayers where we are recognizing the unique calling that God has given each one of us to be in the world about a particular job. And that that is part of your life of discipleship. It's not separate from, but that God has a plan and a purpose for you there. We are people who are called to be faithful witnesses to this truth that the world and that human beings are made things, that we are made things, that we were made by God and designed by him, and that he has a plan and a purpose for the things that we do in our ordinary, everyday life. Resurrection. We are people who live our lives in witness to the resurrection. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is Paul's longest teaching about the resurrection, about the meaning of the resurrection. Um, It's a very, very long chapter, one of the longest chapters in in the New Testament. And it's about uh, all of the implications of the resurrection for our lives. And he gets to the end, and he, uh, he, gets, he seems to be pretty energized to be thinking about how death, uh, how resurrection has now conquered death. That because of the resurrection, we can say, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? And then the very last verse of this chapter is really striking to me. Because I think that 
as Paul is talking about the resurrection, and then he gets to this point where he says, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Death has no power over us anymore. We kind of think that he would close this whole thing up by saying, and so now know that you will live together with Jesus forever. That's not the way he closes the entire teaching about the resurrection. This is what he says. Therefore, my dear brothers, because of the resurrection, therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. In his closing words about the meaning and significance of the resurrection, Paul turns our attention not to the by and by, but to the work and labor that we do in our lives today. Whatever it is that we are, are, are going to experience and to do and to work at today, Paul says you, do, you need to know that your work and your labor, the things that you do here in this life in the name of Jesus, they're not in vain. The resurrection gives us hope that our lives here have a purpose that our life and our work and our labors here are not meaningless, but when they're done in faith, they are somehow woven together into the work of the kingdom that is already present here and that is also waiting its final completion. God is not in the business of only saving your eternal soul as if your life and your work in this life doesn't participate in that eternal life in some way. God is not only concerned with your spiritual type of practices, you know, prayer and Bible reading and going to church. All those things, of course, are a part of our life in Christ, but they are not the whole of it. The resurrection tells us that God is in the business of redeeming all of creation, which means he is concerned with the everyday life that you live. Your going to work life, your life in your home or in your neighborhood. And because he's concerned with the work that you do, because that's part of the meaning of the resurrection, he redeems people who happen to be teachers and students and business workers and stay-at-home moms and dads and social workers and managers of businesses and bus drivers and construction workers and even pastors. That was a joke. (laughs) And they're all called to do these jobs in a way that bring glory to God. God is present with you. He's calling you and enabling you to live your life in such a way that brings your life, brings his life into your homes and into your neighborhoods and schools and workplaces. And so when you you do whatever work that it is that you do, when you create a piece of music or uh, when you serve the poor or when you uh, get that accounting balance sheet to balance at the end to the penny. When you do that, when you do it in faith, when you do it as an as, as a, as a act of worship to God, that somehow in the resurrection, that work that we do will remain and will be a part of the kingdom that is to come. At one point, Jesus Jesus says these words. He says, There's nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. On the day of judgment, there is nothing hidden 
that will not be disclosed, and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Now, I think a lot of us read that, and we, we get a little bit scared. What about that thing that I did last night that I thought was concealed? What about that word that I spoke, or that gossip that I participated in? that I thought was concealed, someday on the day of judgment, that's going to be brought into the open. I think that's part of what that verse means. But in light of the resurrection, I say to you that Jesus may mean something else. That your hidden and concealed works of righteousness, those kindnesses that you show to your neighbor that no one else knew about, That work that you did in faith, that reordering of the shopping carts at the Home Depot parking lot, that balancing of a spreadsheet in the name of Jesus, when we do them in faith, they are going to be brought out into the open. They will be evident. They will be made known in the age to come. The quiet work that you do in faith is a work that will be known and even enjoyed by all of us in the age to come. The Bible tells us this kind of story about the work that we do in the world. From creation to resurrection is a story where we find our place, where we discover that our life has a design and a plan and a purpose. The last thing, calling. Ephesians chapter 2. God's plan and design and creation and resurrection, those seem like really big, kind of universal, broad ideas that are hard to grasp. I want to bring it home for each of us here. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. I'm sorry, sorry, verse 8. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Paul writes, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is good news. Your salvation is a gift. Your salvation was made possible by the power of God that came from beyond you, that came from outside of you, that came from beyond the sun, that was given to you no matter how unlikely a candidate your salvation was. You were for your salvation. It came to you as a gift. And the message of the gospel is that your identity, your significance was given to you. It was a gift. It's not... Our significance, our meaning, our identity doesn't come from the work that we do. It is given to us. But the message of the gospel is that your identity, as you receive this gift as as loved son, as as saved sinner, whatever way you most enjoy describing the salvation that Jesus has offered to you, when you come to stand and to know that identity, then you are then called into the world with a good work. Verse 10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Think about that for a moment. 
Have you ever thought about that before? That, that the work that God has for you was not something that, that God just thought up of off the cuff. Vince is saved. I, I guess I should find something for him to do until he, he dies, you know? That's not the way it worked. It was so important. The work that God had for Vince to do was so important. I'm not saying this. This is what Paul says, inspired by the Spirit, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for Vince and for all of you to do. Sometimes get the impression that Christians believe that our work for him, you know, is just kind of secondary, that we're saved by grace, and that, I I don't know, we get some weird ideas about about this works thing. But it's... It's a gift. It's part of the salvation that God, it's this gift that God has given to you to do this good work that he has prepared in advance for you. And each of us have a good work to do, a different way for each one of us to be a faithful witness in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces. Each one of us a different way to be a faithful witness. Uh, take your uh, the insert in your bulletin. By the way, I think, I think I forgot to mention the hospitality team has some really good work that they do. This is one of the ways that we care for each other here at Broadway. Uh, please read through that. There's a different ways that we can uh, really care for people who are hurting and who, who need a meal or who just want to be a part of, of extending hospitality in one way or another. But if you flip on the back page, there is an exercise that I did probably 13 or 14 years ago that really had a great impact on me and my life and my understanding of what God has called me to do, the way that God has called me to be a faithful witness. And in your small group curriculum, uh, there's an extended explanation of this, of this exercise of developing what uh, we call a personal biblical mandate, a personal biblical mandate. A mandate is the official authority or commission to act in a certain way. And what this process does is it helps you to identify the unique parts of God's story, of his word, that have been important, important to you. And encourage you, encourages you to ask the question, why? Why is it that for me, Romans 12, 1 and 2, has stuck with me for decades? There are verses, there are stories, there are images, there are parables that for you in your mind have been uniquely important to you. And I want to say to you today that that is not an accident. It is part of God's spirit at work in you, putting something in your heart that is unique to you and unique to the calling that God has for you. And so this process is a way for you to consider what scripture verses have shaped you, have shaped your thoughts about God, have shaped your thoughts about yourself and about the world so that you can identify what is, is God's particular mandate for me? What is his authority or commission for me to act in a particular way that he's called me to? 
So there's some basic instructions here. There are more detailed instructions in the small group curriculum. This is going to take some time. This is not something you sit down and do in five minutes. So I encourage you to begin it today and to work at it over the next two or three weeks. And at the end of all of that, that you would develop your own personal biblical mandate, three or four or five statements about who God has called you to be and what he has called you to do. The example of mine is here. So that's just one example. It doesn't have to look like that. Definitely shouldn't sound like that. It's your personal biblical mandate. The scriptures that have been important to you have shaped you in a particular way and call you to something unique. Really want to challenge you to spend some time with this. I just imagine if 300 of God's people at Broadway who understand that they've been given a personal biblical mandate from God to act in a certain way. That's a beautiful thing. And I believe that it's part of what God is doing in us right now. Stirring in us, planting seeds in us that we're going to see fruit in that we can't imagine or even plan for yet. All right, I'm almost done. All of the, the great adventure stories that we read and we like so much have have a common theme all of the heroes have something that happens to them early in the story that was not of their own doing it just happened to them by by magic or by the fate or by the gods lucy pevensey is chosen by magic to find her way through a wardrobe so that she can eventually be a queen and fight for aslan The magic ring chooses Bilbo and Frodo Baggins to carry out a task that only they can do because the ring chose them. Luke Skywalker finds R2-D2 and C-3PO with a message from Princess Leia. These things were, were given. They were chosen. They weren't looking for them. And all of them could say because they were too small or from Tatooine or wherever they're from that they shouldn't be called to this great thing. They, they shouldn't be a hero or a heroine in this story. But all of them are chosen by some force, by magic or the gods or whatever, something outside of themselves, usually very much in spite of themselves because of the smallest or the weakest or the youngest or in some other way, an unlikely choice, but they are chosen to go and to carry out a task that seems impossible, but the world depends on it. And I think that this is a theme in adventure and fantasy stories written by Christians or not, because it is the theme of the story that God has woven into each one of our hearts. It's a theme that is woven into each one of our lives. We've been chosen by God, and this choosing was not of our own. It was a gift. And each of us can say how unlikely a candidate we should have been for that gift. But after we're chosen, we discover we have a calling, a good work to do that God himself planned for us from the very beginning. Brothers and sisters, God has a plan and design for this world. He has a plan and a design for your life. He has given you personally a mandate from his word to be a faithful witness in your own unique way. In your home, in your neighborhood, in your school, in your workplace. So I challenge you, I invite you over the next two or three weeks that we are all going to do this together, to seek this together. In what way has God called you uniquely 
to be a faithful witness to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that you have, have called us and chosen us and, and given us the gift of salvation that, that forever and ever we get to live and to be with you. Give me Jesus. We thank you for that gift. And we thank you that because of Jesus, you've then filled us with your spirit and have called us into the world to be witnesses to you. Lord, I pray that we would, we would know this, that we would receive it as a gift that it is from you today. In Christ's name, amen.